Welcome back to the Sales 411 from the 412. This is Dan Hirsch, and today I'm sitting with Bob Berg. Bob is a sought-after speaker uh, at company leadership and sales conferences. He is an author of a number of books, including The Go-Giver, which was co-authored with John David Mann and has sold almost a million copies. Um, Bob is an advocate and supporter and defender of the free enterprise system, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. Bob, welcome. Dan, it's so great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited to have this conversation. So, so the, the go-giver, it's had a, a, wonderful, a wonderful reception by its readers. And um, I'm curious, what, what is a go-giver? Well, a go-giver is basically someone who has, has learned or maybe always intuitively understood that shifting your focus, and this is really the key, shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, uh, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that not only is this a, a pleasant way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. Uh, not for some way out, you know, la la reason, uh, you know, that, but, but for really reasons that are, that are rational, that are very logical. Because as you know, because of course you and your company, this is, this is what you teach. When you can move from a focus on yourself, when you can move off of, off of yourself and instead focusing on bringing immense value to others, solving their problems, uh, making their lives better, easier, uh, richer, more fulfilling, what have you. When your focus is there, people feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They, they, uh, they like you. They trust you. They're much more likely to want to be in relationships with you, do business with you, refer you to others. You know, it's, it's interesting, Dan, because when I, when I address a, a sales conference, let's say, I'll, I'll often say, uh, you know, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. Okay? Yeah. They're, they're <laughs> I've not going to buy heard from that you. before. Exactly, they're not going to buy from you because you need the money, and they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person. They're going to buy from you only because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's the only reason anyone should buy from you or from me or from, from anyone else. This is good because what it does is it says to the sales professional, hey, you know, I've got to focus on this other person because it's not about me. <laughs> so I have got to make sure that I know how to best focus on this person, how to best serve them, how to best discover what it is they need, what they want, what they desire, and approach it from that, you know, from that premise. So it seems like then you're you're asking for a complete mind shift of a sales professional. The the quota comment previously uh, struck home with me. Too often, in my experience, sales uh, professionals have been focused on just the bottom line. I need this many appointments this week. I have to have this many proposals sent out. I need to close this many deals because the end of the month is coming. Your, your philosophy backs, backs away from that and says, sure, those are important. I'm, I'm not going to go on air and say that you probably don't imagine hitting goals are important. Right, but they are important. The, the, 
the focus it takes to achieve those goals is to completely flip your mind away uh, from me, yeah. me, me, me to you, you, you. Exactly. Again, and I, and I think you said it so perfectly, Dan. The metrics are important. We've got to know what it is we're looking to accomplish and giving ourselves deadlines and, and, and you know, beginning with the end of my, end in mind and backtracking and see the activities. Hey, we've got to do the activity. We, I, we want people to be go-getters, people of action, as well as go-givers, people focused on bringing value hmm. to others, right? We don't want people to be go-takers. And that's what the people are whose focus is on themselves and on what they have to accomplish, okay? Because, you know, if you go after it with, I need this because I need to hit my, you know, well, how do, how's the, uh, your prospect going to take that? You know, you might think, well, I'm not telling them that. Sure you are. <laughs> right. We, we, what do we used to call it? Commission breath, right? When someone was so focused <laughs> on themselves that, that you know, the, the person can genuinely, can generally tell. Some people are, are kind of good at faking it, but it's tough. And it's tough to do that sustainably. And who would want to? No, have those goals, have those metrics, know what you need to do, know the actions you need to take. But when it comes down to it, your focus is on how you can best serve that other person, how you can bring value to them because that's all they care about. That's interesting. So I have several follow-up questions, but I'd like to go back in time, if it's okay, prior to writing this book. Can you, can you share with us a little about how, it, how the book came to be? What, what were you seeing in the, in the market? What were you seeing in your own organization to, to strike this as something that you need to go out and teach? Well, many years ago, and this is back in the '90s. I'm, you know, I'm kind of an old, an old guy. I, I, I'm older than, <laughs> and uh, so back in the mid '90s, my my first book came out. It was called Endless Referrals, and the um, subtitle was Network Your Everyday Contacts into Sales. So it was really a book about how entrepreneurs and salespeople could could go about building those relationships that would cause people to feel good about them, to to know them, like them, trust them, want to you know do business with them want to refer them to others. And, but you know, it may have been that they, they uh, believed in what they did. They were great technicians maybe, or they, they uh, understood the value they could bring to others, but they weren't necessarily comfortable in the process of building those necessary relationships. And, uh, sure. and so that book was really a how-to kind of guide as opposed to The Go-Giver, which is a business parable co-authored with John David Mann, who's a great writer. I could, hey, Dan, I'll tell you, I could never put this book together myself, okay? Uh, I'm a how-to guy. I'm, I'm step one, step two, step three. Uh, John is a magnificent writer, and so this is a, a, a parable. And, um, and so the reason that came about was, was first, I thought it might be a great idea to take the basic premise of endless referrals, that all things being equal or close enough to equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And, and how we could take that and put that into parable form. And so, you know, my big question in titling the, the new book was, well, so what is the um, essence of someone who is able to very quickly and sustainably build those types of relationships? And it comes down to they're givers. They're always looking for ways to give value to others. And so, uh, so we called it the go-giver. Um, and, and the reason we kind of, wrote it as we did is because we saw that while I think generally things were improving in the way people sold, 
there was still that overall attitude of, you know, again, it's about me, it's about the bottom line, it's about fulfilling the quota, as opposed to what I saw, you know, had always worked for me and for the people who I knew who were sustainably successful. That, it's ne that great salesmanship is never about the salesperson. Great salesmanship is about those we serve. It's about those people whose lives we choose to touch with our product or service. So, you know, I thought the basic message and, and John's writing abilities, and he was a great entrepreneur himself. And, and so I, I thought it was a, a message whose time had come and that in a parable form, it would just be even better received. Because as you know, stories really connect with people on a kind of a heart to heart level. Absolutely, they certainly do. So, so you, so you author this book with John. You guys get it out there, and and presumably people start buying it. You're you're also a speaker. You're also working with organizations. What what did you see in terms of the paradigm shift of how you're approaching sales and relationship building and entrepreneurship to how how they were doing it before, or I guess more directly, what what did you notice of your readers and of your of your class attendees that was interesting to you? Uh, you know, that's really such an insightful question because what John and I both noticed, and and I, we were surprised by this. Though in retrospect, we shouldn't have been, but you know how that is, right? And and so uh, <laughs> the early adopters, if you want to call them that, of the book, and and we know this just from the many many emails we received. The early adopters were those who were already very successful people. And what they told us is, this is how I've always done it. So in other words, they were doing this long before the go-giver go came about. And remember, you know, mm -hmm. you know this because I, again, this is, this is what you do. Uh, none of these things are original. You know, I mean, none of these principles we made up. Uh, these are all things that successful people have done since as long as there's been market economies, I would imagine. Uh, back in the days of the early bazaars, you know, those bazaars that uh, were written about in what was that great parable, um, uh, the richest man in Babylon, right? And so, and so, you know, uh, there was nothing new. But but what these people told us was, this is what I've been trying to tell people, and they wouldn't wouldn't listen to me. And what this book did is it kind of gave them that third party credibility, right? Well, you know, you may not listen to me, but here's this book that says the exact same thing I've been telling you, but right. And so, uh, so what happened was that was really how it started. And people, they were ordering, you know, hundreds of them, thousands of them. We had a couple of companies that ordered more than 10,000 books. They had huge organizations and they wanted to kind of to just make this the culture, uh, which of course, you know, we were very grateful for. Now, the second wave of adopters were the people who received these books from their sales leaders, their mentors, their CEOs, what have you. And these are the ones who talked about changing the way they did things, not realizing that this is how you could do business. See, I think what it is, is that most human beings, we are created with a desire to make a difference, to bring value to the world. And I think most people who get into sales, they, they really love the product they sell or invented or represent or whatever. And they feel a calling to do that. And, but they've been taught, they've been told for so long that no, if you want to sell, it's got to be about, you know, this and that, you got to do, 
And, you know, again, it's, it's, it's uh, backwards. And uh, I think this book kind of gave them permission to do that, just to sell in a way that they felt good about and that was actually more lucrative. Boy, is that interesting. So, so the folks that were not early adopters, it sounds like certainly they needed to read it, internalize it, understand it before putting into practice. But once they did, um, you, you mentioned being a process guy, right? Step one, two, three. Your, your book has a subscribed or prescribed process, correct? Yeah, you know, and it's funny, you use the word process. I love that. I think you, you and I come from sort of the same direction. And I, I define a system as the process of predictably achieving a goal based on a logical and specific set of how-to principles mm. towards the key's predictability. If it's been proven sure. that by you know, doing A, you'll get the desired result of B, you know that all you need to do is A and do A and do A, and eventually <laughs> the desired result of B. And this is, you know, this is why you take companies, you and your company take other companies that, are, you know, that need to kind of really give themselves a lift and take their business to the next level and you help them put their, those processes in, in place, whether it you know, begins with the culture, the marketing, the sales, what have you. So, so you know, when someone will utilize a system that's been proven, uh, yeah, the chances are they're going to be a lot more successful than they were beforehand. That's, that's absolutely right. So, so tell, us, tell us a little about the process or about the system. You have um, several different steps. How, how do those work together? Well, there, there are actually um, two different parts in a sense. There are the five laws, of course, the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. Um, and they all work uh, together holistically. Now, if you just took, let's say, the law of, of influence, which we have in the book as your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. Now, if someone can hear that and say, well, that's kind of counterintuitive. I mean, that sounds kind of Pollyanna-ish, right? It, it, you know, uh, your interest, interest is a matter of, uh, of the, is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first, yet you, you, you look at it, right? The greatest leaders you know, the top producing salespeople, this is simply how they run their lives and conduct their business. They're always looking out for the other person's interest. Now, let me, let me qualify that, if I may, because when we say place the other person's interest first, we certainly don't mean you should ever be anyone's doormat or a martyr or self-sacrificial in any way. Absolutely not at all. It's just as Joe, the protege, learned in the story from several of the mentors and what you and I spoke about a little while ago, the golden rule of, of business, of sales, is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. But here's the thing. There's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you from others than by genuinely and authentically moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, looking for ways to, uh, as, as Sam, one of the mentors advised Joe, make your win all about the other person's win. So how do we do that when we first meet someone, okay? Uh, and that's the key. From the moment we meet someone, we want to be able to communicate value and build that relationship. And we could use the example of meeting someone 
locally, let's say, at a, uh, it could be a social function, it could be a business social function, it could be a charity event, I mean, you know, wherever it happens to be, somewhere where there are other business people. And, and by the way, you know, the again, and this again, of course, depends on, on what you do for a living, um, the people you meet don't have to necessarily be direct potential prospects. They may not need what you, what you buy or sell right now, but they may know others who, who might be. So when you yeah. meet people and create these relationships, it's not just about that other person, but you know, everyone potentially in that person's sphere of influence. So let's say you meet someone, uh, he, uh, you happen to be at the hors d'oeuvres table, and uh, you make eye contact and you say, you know, hello. And they say, hello. And you say, hi, I'm Bob Berg. And I, of course, suggest using your own name. But, you know, since I'm, I'm doing the exam. <laughs> I'm going to use Bob Berg from now on. Yeah. When, there'll be no credibility in that. I think you're uh, much better off. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, and he says, oh, hi, I'm uh, Gary Malashevsky. And now we can very easily just ask Gary, you know, great to meet you. Uh, what do you do, Gary, or what line of work are you in? Which, of course, is a perfectly legitimate question. And he says, well, I'm, uh, I'm vice president of sales of uh, Acme Office products. We sell high-end copy machines to businesses that need to... He gives you his big elevator speech because that's what people are, are taught to do. Now, when he mm -hmm. asks what you do, and he will ask what you do, um, my suggestion... Um, and by the way, I, I don't even use the term elevator speech because I feel those are kind of focused on us. I like benefit statements, which are very, uh, you know, three to seven seconds, which just provide the benefit of what someone would, would derive by doing business with you. But I wouldn't even use that right now. To me, it's still too early. I would just say exactly what you do. I, I would just say that, you know, the name of your business or what you do. You know, I sell so-and-so or I'm in the so-and-so business or I'm a so-and-so, uh, you know, I'm a, a salesperson with Acme, whatever. Uh, here, here's why. Because at this point in the conversation, when that person first meets you, their level of interest in you and in what you do for a living can be summarized in three words. They don't care. Mm -hmm. You come away, come up right away with some big elevator speech or, or even a benefit statement. First, they're not listening anyway. Okay, they're not hearing it. They're too busy thinking about what they just said and, and, and what have you. Um, and then in that way, you also come off like every other salesperson they meet. So what I would do is I would invest 99.9% .9 of this first conversation with this person asking them questions about themselves and their business. That doesn't mean you avoid answering. You, know, you did answer, but you're going to focus on them because that's what they're interested in. The questions I suggest asking, I call feel-good questions. And feel-good questions are, are simply questions. They're not, they're not salesy. They're not uh, intrusive. They're not invasive. They're just, they just very, very quickly connect with this person and establish a nice rapport. Basically, feel-good questions make this person feel good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. And so the first question I might ask Gary, who sells copying machines, is I just might ask, how did you get started selling copying machines? Or how did you get started you know, as an office products professional? Or uh, um, you know, something along those lines. Basically, how did you get started in the widget business? Now, this is not sure. a, a particularly clever question. It's not a slick question, nor does it need to be. But it's a question people love to answer. Why? 
because unlike everyone else who's trying to hit them up regarding their own product or service, or at the least just talking about yourself and your interests, you've made him the star. You've asked him to share his story. How many people ask Gary to share the story about how he got started in his business? Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, his own family has never asked him to share that story. Never mind someone he just met. So right there, you, you begin to position yourself as different. Um, a second fielded question, which is a good, a natural follow-up to this is just, what do you enjoy most about what you do? What do you enjoy most about your work? Uh, it, it, it probably sounds more like, wow, you must have had some fascinating experiences. Gary, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Now, this is a feel-good question, right? It elicits a feel-good response. It flies in the face of so much traditional teaching where we're taught to immediately, upon meeting this person, you know, find their pain, reach into their heart, and tear it out. So you can... Mm the rescue with your products or services and as, again aside from the fact they may not even be a prospect um uh it's too early in the process to do that there's no trust established there's no reason to to do that so instead you know find their joy as opposed to their pain what do you enjoy most about what you do now let me go to one more thing there's a there's one more question to add this is not one of the feel-good questions that i that i have because we have a, a number of them although i would suggest only asking two or three of these feel good questions at the most, even though they're, they're fun questions to answer. If you ask any more than a few of them at one time, uh, you know, it, it's a little over the top. You, you could come across as an investigative reporter and you don't. <laughs> but, but what sure. I would suggest is after you've asked these first couple questions to ask what I call the one key question that will absolutely separate you from the, the rest. And that is to say, Gary, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client for you? How can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client or customer for you? Um, what have you done when asking that question? Really a couple of things. One is again, you've continued to focus on him. Uh, unlike most others he meets, you have communicated that, that your interest is on him and in, in helping him. But the way you frame the question allows him to tell you in a way that really can help you to help him. And he knows this and feels great about it and great about you. For, so again, just playing this through, he sells copying machines. And you say, uh, and by the way, good way to lead into that question is to say, you know, Gary, I always love connecting good people with other good people. Uh, tell me, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good potential client for you? So he has to think about this for a couple of seconds. Again, he's never been asked this question. And finally, he says, well, uh, if you're ever in an office and you notice a, a, a copying machine and next to that copying machine is a waste paper basket, which is filled to the rim and just overflowing with crumpled up pieces of paper, <laughs> really good sign that copying machine has been breaking down a lot lately. And that would be an excellent prospect for me. Gary, if you're listening, I have a I have a, a serious opportunity for you at my office building. <laughs> and so this is just, you know, so that's just the very beginning. This takes five minutes. That's the very beginning of a conversation that begins the process of, of you know, bringing value to another human being from when you first. 
Bob, I often get asked what I think is the number one quality of a of a good salesperson, and there's a lot of good qualities. Sure, I think you could you could you could list a dozen without even thinking. But I always come back to somewhat of a hard to measure quality, which is you you actually hit hit an interesting story, the nail right on the head with the investigative journalist. I, one of my best hires that people in our HR department and sales leadership team in a, in a previous corporate role I had passed on this candidate over and over again, and he kept applying for the job. He was a journalist by trade and a radio show host um, in the evenings as well. I, I saw his resume and immediately thought of the quality, which is curiosity. I personally feel that being curious is one of the most important things to being a salesperson. Now to, to finish that story quickly, we ended up interviewing him, brought him on board and the curiosity and his ability to dig deep and really understand what was going on with the, the people he was speaking with is critical. Also add to that. I think the person has to understand the mindset of what it takes to be a quality salesperson. So it's not one in one interview a day or one interview a week will satisfy all of your goals. You have to have many of these conversations and you have to do some of the, the day-to-day function to, to perform. But over time, curiosity will lead you to the promised land. Um, and that was proven out with this one hire. The, the, the way you're framing Gary's conversation at this networking event and the way you're framing the, the value that you can bring to somebody early into a conversation in that context, right? Meeting at a, a social event mm-hmm. is to me all about curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Genuinely curious and willing to listen. And, uh, you know, I, I think an old uh, a hero of mine, his name was Harry Brown. And he used to say that in the, you know, the, the sales process, the biggest thing is, is, you know, the discovery aspect, because until you really are able to discover what that other person needs, wants, and desires, you know, you can have the best sales presentation in the world. Your products can have the best features and the best benefits, but everything you say along that line totally misses the mark if they're not congruent with what this person needs, wants, and desires. So, uh, you know, to be curious, to ask questions, to listen effectively, and then, you know, and only then to, and of course, you know, there are many um, businesses now, uh, especially when it comes to complex sales, where there are a lot of moving parts, where you've got to be able to create these relationships, even within the companies, and you've got to be able Mm -hmm. to bring insight to them that they don't even know, you know, those those, uh, issues that they don't even know are there. Uh, and you, but you've got to be able to really listen and discover well to know what's appropriate at what time. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that is such an important, important aspect of sales. Let's let's go back a second and, and do some blocking and tackling. So so you're you're having a conversation with Gary and you're asking these questions, two to three questions, and then the the primary how can I help you question. How do you do that? How do you show curiosity without being perceived as fake? Well, I mean, I, I think it comes down to to really being curious and to to really caring. And you know, uh, what was that old uh, Hollywood uh, 
saying, if you, uh, the key to making it in this business is uh, sincerity. And if you can fake that, you've got it made. Well, I'm not sure that really works long term. <laughs> I, I think we have to really be sincere and we have to, to really look forward to knowing people's stories. Now, you may not be naturally curious in that way. The good news is you can develop that curiosity. Uh, so many of us don't realize that action precedes feeling, right? So we don't have to feel interested in order to act interested. We can actually act interested and, and act our way into feeling that way because our feelings take cues from our physiology and from the actions we take. Um, and so, yeah, get, get used to, uh, to asking questions, get used to listening to answers and get used to being genuinely curious and, and really look to, okay, what, what does fascinate me about this? What fascinates me about the process? How do I find this person uh, interesting? You know, we've done an X. I'm sorry, continue, please. I was just going to say the good news is people really are interesting when you give them a chance to be. So it actually happens very naturally. That, that's right. Um, I've done exercises with my teams in the past, which have, have focused on trying to figure out one or two pieces of information that you didn't otherwise have. Um, the concept and making a game of it, right? So the concept being if you're if you're in a market that maybe you're new to so i don't typically sell to to copy companies right so gary i'm not sure exactly what challenges you might have i'm not sure how your industry works what your business model looks like do you make more on toner versus selling the actual printers i'm making this up but to generate some curiosity during your your planning before calls before meetings, before conversations, come up with a, a few questions that you might have that may not lead to driving a sale further, may not lead to, frankly, anything other than satisfying a, a question that you've always had about that business or about that person. And, and we've done that as a game in the past, and it, it has taught how to ask these questions and, and be interested in, in finding unique things out about the person you're speaking with like almost like speed dating i suppose they give you a form at first right these are the questions to ask here's how to do it and if right. you can assimilate that into your your actual behavior and and find value in what you're learning i think that's fantastic yeah and it's good to practice you know practice uh beforehand don't just you know don't just go in there and, and wing it and think it's you know it's going to be comfortable uh you know if it's something that's not a natural part of your being um you know, then practice with other team members, practice with, you know, someone at home, practice, you know, what have you, practice in your head. Uh, but all these things really help prepare you for, for actually doing that. So you, you meet Gary and you have this conversation, you ask him how you can support him and you, you start to build this relationship. How does, how does a go-giver translate i i can imagine somebody new to this concept would struggle with okay but when's the time where i need to hit him over the head with a frying pan to get a sale and well, that's certainly yeah. the wrong attitude but how do you make that mindset shift yeah well and by the way you know doing it the way we're doing it doesn't take longer than doing it the traditional way it actually happens faster because 
those people who do hit people over the head when they first meet them, they're never going to get this sale. Right. Okay. So, so no, the first thing I would do is after, you know, after I've met that person, I would send a personalized handwritten thank you note that very day to that person. Uh, I have mine that are, that are um, made up there eight and a half by three inches. So they fit inside a, a regular number 10 envelope. You have your, your contact information. Maybe you do have your benefit statement on there. Of course, if you're a, uh, let's say you're a financial advisor, it might just be helping people create and manage wealth, right? Just a very short, sweet benefit statement. You have your sure. logo, your contact information, and mainly, and this is so important, you have a small professional shot of yourself. Okay. Because people think in pictures. And so we want to make sure that we get, that we, we, let this person know that we remind them who we are. And on this, um, uh, on this uh, note, and I would suggest writing the note in blue ink because blue ink comes off a lot more personally and friendly than black ink. Because obviously with blue ink, it was handwritten, right? And, and so forth. Mm. And, so, and, and, and so I would simply say, hi, Gary, or dear Mr. Malashevsky, however the relationship was started, or dear Mary, or dear Dr. Jones, however. And then the, the, the wording would be very simple. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. If I can ever refer business your way, I certainly will. Best regards, and then your name. Or it might be something had you, had you really uh, talked about a certain, let's say you both discovered that you're both baseball fanatics or something. You may have said, you know, so enjoy, uh, you know, uh, hi Gary, thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. Really enjoyed our conversation about the, you know, whatever your, your team is and what kind of season they'll probably be having. Uh, if I can ever refer business your way, I certainly will. Best regards, so-and-so, you know, what, what have you. Uh, or if you met at your kid's ball game, it might be, you know, I thought your Jimmy and my Sally were the two best out there with a smiley face, you know, what have you. You're really <laughs> just doing it because you're, let, you're, you're making sure this person sees that you are someone who is a professional, someone who, remember, they, they open this. Now, remember, you put it in, it's not a postcard, it's a note card. You put it inside a number 10 envelope, hand address it in blue ink, hand stamp it, not a meter stamp, okay? So this is from a friend. You send it to them, they get it the next day, they open it, uh, they see, they, they, they take out the, the note card. It's not a business card, it's a note card. It's eight and a half by three inches. And there's plenty of room, by the way, for you to write the note. Lots of white space on it. It's not a direct mail piece. Remember, it's about them. And they see, uh, hi, Gary. Okay, or the first, the first thing they see is your picture and the warm, fuzzy feelings come back. All right. Uh, because you're that person who, unlike everyone else, you focused on them. Uh, now they see, hi, Gary. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting you. If I can, now they're going, okay, here's going to be the salesman. But you just say, if I can ever refer business your way, I certainly will. Best regards, so-and-so. Uh, by the way, back on, on one thing. If this person who you've met is not a salesperson per se, even though, you know, you and I probably believe everyone's a salesperson in some way, but we mean if this person, let's say they're the CEO and, and they're not actively selling or they're in the accounting department or something where a prospect is not of value to them per se, okay? We, we can always ask the one key question could be, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with uh, is someone you'd like to meet? Okay. Or, or would be a good connection for you or when sure. I'm finding out once that someone in the conversation, it came up that their daughter had just graduated college and, 
and I asked, you know, what the ma her major was, and he had said, and I said, oh, well, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with would be a good uh, career connection for Beth? And I got to tell you, his eyes just lighted up. And by the way, he did eventually become a, 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 a customer. <laughs> and because I, I introduced him to a guy who had a business doing what Beth wanted to do, and Beth ended up doing an internship. So, you know, there's always ways we can find ways to be always, we can always find ways to be of value to others. But anyway, so this note card, what this note card says to the person is, wow, what a professional. Here's a person who not only asked me these great questions, but sent me a, you know, this, this handwritten note. So follow the follow up and follow through is perfect. And uh, uh, letting me know, remembering that, that he or she wants to refer business to me or help me in some way. What this says to this person is, wow, here's a competent person. Here's a professional. Here's someone who does things right. Now, keep in mind, unless this person right away at this time needs what you have to offer or knows someone who does, nothing's going to happen. Not, not at first, although there's a good chance they will email you back or, right, or they'll call you to get together with you or what have you. They will keep this note. And, and I have seen it so many times and that's so many people tell me that people kept this note and remembered it, you know? So, so again, this is just that it's that next step. Now, the next step with that is to put together how you're going to keep in touch. What are your touch points going to be? And this, again, it depends what you do. Um, but it can be anything from, and by the way, still connect with this person on social media. Absolutely. The ones that they go to, the ones that they're on, make sure you go, go on that. That's fine. But what you want to be constantly doing is finding ways to create and, and, and communicate value to them uh, aside from your potential product or service until you feel that the know, like, and trust is there. And you know what? It could be two months or it could be two weeks or two days or it could be a year or it could be a month. I don't know. That's why you want to keep doing this with people on an ongoing, consistent basis. So you always have people coming into the funnel, so to speak, at at, right at different times. Some of them are going to fall out right away. Some are going to come through right away. Some are going to be in there for, you know, again, weeks or months, what have you, who knows. But that's sales. And that's why you want to continue. Now, when you get to the point where you're ready to contact this person for uh, either to, to sell directly or to ask for referrals or to sell and then ask for referrals, what have you, as you start to build this referral relationship, these referral relationships with people and leveraging those, now you know, you're in a whole different position. Your business becomes a lot more fun, a lot less stressful, and absolutely a lot more profitable. Boy, is that interesting. It, it sounds like we've, we've been talking certainly about sales, right? And, and the profession of sales with, with the, the mindset of developing a relationship, adding value, being of service to others as the primary mechanism to build trust and find future opportunities to support each other. Mm. But it doesn't only translate to sales. This, this message and this mindset sounds like it can work internally amongst um, a group of people in, a, in an office environment. Sounds like it might work and be very productive in a personal relationship. How have you seen, 
how have you seen this book take, take shape in other areas aside from just sales? Yeah, well, the neat thing is that we've heard constantly about how, how study groups have formed around this book in all sorts of areas outside of business, right? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's athletic teams or religious groups or I'm just trying to think, uh, you know, uh, well, a lot of schools have used it. So sure. you know, I think like anything else, and, and as Pindar, the main mentor, told Joe in the book, universal laws work across the board. Uh, success comes in many, many different areas. There's financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational. And um, there's no reason why we shouldn't have all of these right in our lives. And, and if a law works in one area, the principle of the law, not necessarily the strategy or the technique or what have you, but the principle works across the board. So that's, you know, we, that's why we, we included a, uh, a little subplot in the story about Joe and his wife, Susan. So we, we kind of wanted to make that point that it was more than, than just business. That's fantastic. So, so tell us, tell us a little of the projects you're working on now. How, how are you taking this message and this book to other groups to, to support us and help us grow? Well, aside from speaking at, at conferences, um, we are putting together a, uh, in fact, we're in post-production right now for a, an online course called the Endless Referrals, the Go-Giver Way. And we also are doing, um, uh, my business partner, Kathy Tajano and I are doing a, a series of live programs, two-day workshops. We just got through with one a couple of weeks ago in Orlando. That's where we hold them because it's easier for people to come in throughout the country and internationally. Uh, I live a few hours down the road from Orlando and you really can't get there from here, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so, so we do it in Orlando, <laughs> just easier for sure. people. But it's also called Endless Referrals, The Go-Giver Way. It's a two-day uh, workshop, which is very, it's not just me speaking, but rather it's very, very interactive where we help people put together their, their really their referral agenda. And um, uh, so unlike what you all do, where it's focused very much on the sales process, which is just fantastic and terrific, it's so badly needed, we don't actually address the sales aspect as much as the how to get in front of lots and lots and lots of people on a continual basis, which I know you do that as well too. Uh, but that's with us, that's our only focus in that, uh, in that uh, workshop. Sure. And so how can I, how can I help find people that would benefit greatly from talking to you? Well, you know, I would say that. Did the, I say that? Did I say that right? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think there's two things. If they'd like information about the book, probably Berg, B-U-R-G.com. Uh, I also have a series on there that we've been doing through the blog on uh, endless referrals and just starting a new one on, on influence and persuasion. Uh, they can go to Berg.com blog for that. And, um, and if they're interested in the, the workshop, the two-day workshop, the next one's in late April in uh, Orlando, they can go to endlessreferrals.com, and the information is there. Uh, what, a, what a great way to, to make, to, to help change people's focus and mindsets on how they go about their business. I think teaching them to build better relationships, teaching them to add more value to their to those relationships and to their customers is, is something that can't, that doesn't have a negative to it. 
you're, you're either building a relationship that won't lead to massive wealth and opportunity, but wonderful friendship and possibly sharing of ideas, mm. or you're doing both and you're finding success in business. You're finding success personally with these, these other individuals. That's a great message. I love, I love the concept. I love the book. And I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I'm very, very excited that we had time to talk today. And I'm also excited to continue discussions. I, I completely buy into the value you're bringing to those who listen to you and those who read this book. Wow, what a fantastic compliment. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you very much for joining us today on this podcast. My pleasure. All right, Bob. Well, thank you so much. Again, this was the Sales 411 from the 412 with Bob Berg. Thank you and have a great day.